Hello, welcome to 360 Yourself, the podcast show centered around self-awareness and improvement. I'm Jamie Neal, host of 360 Yourself. So, a little bit of information of how the podcast came about. In 2014, I had a breakdown and was hospitalized. Too much work, too much anxiety, too much coffee, and not enough self-care. In the hospital, lying there with my thoughts, I had to rethink my entire way of life. The doctor said I was overworked and my body just gave up. Now, I'm not gonna say it wasn't scary, but it was a bit of a turning point for me. From there, I started to rebuild myself, reading hundreds of self-help books and questioning everything from, why do we have triggers? Why do we have egos? What is manifesting and what is identity? Many years later, someone recommended that I start a podcast because I've always been interested about how others lead their lives. And thus, 360 Yourself was born, interviewing incredible minds about how they understand themselves and how they utilize their knowledge and awareness to set out into their space. 360 Yourself is a dedicated podcast meeting brilliant and curious minds and looking at the world around them. I speak to artists, musicians, sports athletes, authors, CEOs, and experts in human behaviors, released every Sunday at 12 p.m. I ask questions about their mindset, journey, values, and ethos to fully understand how each of their minds work. How can we become more of ourselves to grow to the ultimate person we know we can be? If you do enjoy the episodes that you're listening to, please visit our Instagram page at 360 underscore yourself to let us know what you like and how you're learning. Or you can email us jamie at 360yourself.co.uk. That's jamie at 360yourself.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to 360 Yourself. You found us once again all the way from around the world, wherever you are. You are here back with 360 Yourself. Of course, we've got another juicy, juicy guest with you today and talking about essentially relationships and unconscious and conscious mindset right we all know that we do things unconsciously sometimes we do it that we don't even know we're doing it right that's what is that was unconsciousness and sometimes we do it and it hurts people and we're just like i know i'm doing something wrong and i can't help myself doing it but you can you can actually be better at being conscious of your choices and your intentions, right? And this can be with your family member, it can be with your best friends, it can be with relationships, right? Romantic relationships. And I know personally, I've done things unconsciously that I've hurt someone, I've gone, I need to like remember that for next time because I didn't mean to do that, I meant to do something else. And talking to this wonderful guest, Catherine is talking about relationships and being really healthy with our choices is right so she's got a very famous book called conscious uncoupling which is basically but the end point of relationships so how do you break up in a healthy way that's conscious right and she has a five step process to do that and I'm really excited because I, I remember read the book uh, about a year ago and then I picked it up again and I was like I can just ask this author to come on our show and and discuss about this because we all go through it. We all go through breakups, but how do we go through breakups in a healthy way? And essentially, if you're going through this right this moment, this show and this episode right now is the perfect thing for you. So sit right into your seat, get some popcorn, put your headphones on and listen and enjoy and take it all in and hopefully you can add this into your current situation and your current breakup because we all know it sucks 
We all know there's so many things that go on that we wish we could have said or we could have done better. And hopefully this helps the process a little bit better. Hello, Catherine. How are you doing? Welcome to 360 Yourself. Oh, thank you for having me, Jamie. It's really, really such a delight to meet you. You know, it is a delight to have you on. I was just saying, I was just basically just gushing over you saying the joy about having this podcast is I get to meet amazing people like yourself, authors. I love their books and actually just to have this moment just to like crack open and understand the book more from your point of view, and also just to know you as a person and where your mindset was before you were writing this. I think that's the greatest thing about doing this podcast is I get to really like, understand the book from you uh, rather than my own inter- and interpretation and also where's the original source. So I want to just say thank you for coming on the show. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm very excited. But yeah, let, let's let's dive right in. So I always ask my guests, whereabouts are you in the world this time? I'm in California. I live California. In- and and you, if you, have you always lived there? No, I, I'm a New Yorker, actually. And I think once you're a New Yorker, you will always be a New Yorker, although I have lived in California for about 30 years now. So. And do you prefer California or do you prefer New York? Because like the people are very different. Oh, they're so different. But very different. I, New York is home. It's just home. Would you so- ever go back, though? I, we think about it. I mean, my my partner, Michael, and I are both from New York and, and we go back frequently and we are thinking about getting a place in New York. It, uh, well, from what I hear, it's got it's got crazy expensive, like really expensive in New York compared to like Los Angeles. Where Los Angeles is not too bad, but New York, I was my friend was saying the price difference. He was getting a, a one bed flat in New York. I think it was like in Williamsburg. And it was like he was paying like I don't know, five thousand dollars. And then in the in in L.A., he was paying like the same sort of size in a very similar area for like three thousand dollars. Like it was like a massive two thousand dollars difference. You know, like he was just saying so how crazy you're not, you're talking me out of it now. <laughs> I will just no. keep going and staying with our friends. No, it's just it's I, it's, it's so funny because I, I I I've been to New York many many times. I don't really I I'm not um I I when I because I I live in Los uh, Los Angeles and I I um I had like a kind of I'm an hour between Los Angeles and New York. And the reason why I went to Los Angeles is because of the weather. I was like, I want the weather. I want that sort of Californian vibe and wearing T-shirts and going to the beach and, and hikes and stuff. And the New York thing, I think it was, as I was saying to you, I think it's the, the coldness in the winter that really like put me off. I mean, it's cold in London or in the UK when it's winter. And I hate that. I'm a sunny person. So... But um, yeah, it's, let me, uh... can I say one one thing that's really wonderful about New York? I mean, there's a lot of things that's wonderful about New York, but but New Yorkers get a bad rap because they're 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 known to be kind of gruff, or you know, a little you know, just kind of hard and a little cold. But the thing about New Yorkers is, if anything happens, like someone snatches your purse or somebody like hits you on the street or something, which by the way, these things do happen in New York, but. But everybody like suddenly rushes to your rescue. 
and they come to help you when you need help. I mean, the New Yorkers, it's like, so the gruffness is just on the surface in New York and really people have tender hearts. We're all in it together. It's like you're in the New York experience together. So this I is totally agree. Good. I totally agree because everyone knows how difficult it is to, to be in New York. And uh, they say, once you crack in New York, you can crack anywhere. Um, so, yeah, but I actually, because I think because I have a very, maybe this is me, but I've never had an experience in New York. I once at, at some, got someone walked me four blocks to where I needed to go. And it was the opposite direction of where they were going. And I was, and I, had my, I had like a little suitcase. Aww. And I think maybe because of my British accent, I don't know. But I've always had really lovely people look after me whenever I've been in New York. Now, um, I, contrary to that, I lived in LA for 30 years and everybody's really nice on the surface, but nobody's going to walk you four blocks. No, they're not. Going. But they don't even walk, though. We we were walking. Right. So I was right. so I was there last week, right? And I was saying to my English friend who, who also lives there, and we walk in London, we walk everywhere, right? And so walking 20 minutes or 25 minutes is like nothing. It's walking from like Waterloo, probably to the Oxford Circus. Sometimes you might do it, sometimes you won't. You might get a tube. But I was saying to my friend, he was like, oh, I'm going to walk from West Hollywood to this cafe, which is probably like a 20 minute walk with his friend who was L.A. person. And they walked it and the guy got halfway there. He was like, I can't do any more. I've got to call a taxi. And I was like, and, and my friend told me the story. And I was like, it's literally 20 minutes. It was literally a straight road uh, on wow. Hollywood Boulevard or wherever it was. And I was just like, I can't believe people need wow. to book. like. It's just, but you see more when you walk around, you see this place, you see, you might stop and get a coffee and you keep walking. That's the beautiful thing about like Amsterdam and Paris and Italy and London is that the thing of like, you bump yeah. into people and you get a coffee and you keep walking you get a pretzel or whatever. Like LA obviously doesn't really have that much of a culture like that, but there's still like coffee but, shops you can just pop you know, into and stuff. I had a private practice where I was a psychotherapist in LA for a while. And I have to tell you, that the majority of people who came to me were suffering from severe loneliness. It's LA. It's and LA. I think it's what you're talking about. It, I, it's almost I like agree. I know I know the feeling or something. It's so it's so strange. I kept I mean I, I, I tried to figure it out a lot. Um and there's all sorts of explanations from it. I mean, in, in obviously in the work that we're going to do with someone who's feeling lonely is is empowering them to create connections that are meaningful and to who are you going to be in the face of the loneliness. But it was really common. It's because you'd like, as what I say to everyone, you can't be spontaneous in Los Angeles. You have to plan everything. You have to plan to meet someone to go there, plan to go there. You can't just like spontaneously go somewhere. Uh, well, you can do, but then you'll be by yourself. Like, and, and you might actually bump into someone if it's like, I don't know, a recognizable place like Earth Cafe or Soho, Soho House or some maybe some hotel or whatever, like Chateau yeah. Marmont or whatever. But like, generally speaking, you got to plan everything. And that could be very taxing and very tiring. And obviously, everyone flakes as well. So yeah. I know, I, I feel it in Los Angeles, the loneliness. I, I know what it feels like because, it, but in London, I just think there's so much a vibe. You can like meet people all the time. But I think when I meet a British person, like I had a really good conversation last week in Beverly Hills with this British, again, always British people, had a really good conversation with this British person who's been there like 20 years doing real estate. And we were talking about Scotland and like kilts and like Los Angeles and like 
apartments and his wife and just talking about loads of things. Then we had a massive conversation, exchanged numbers and stuff. So there are like these little mini connections that you can find. But I think just obviously finding your community is incredibly difficult in Los Angeles. I I lived there for a long time and I, I think you're you're right about that. Mm, it's... I mean, both in the UK and in America, loneliness is one of the biggest mental health problems that we yeah. have our time. It is, and, and obviously moving on to sort of the conversation of loneliness, it's a lot of it is obviously to do with social media. A lot of it's to do with, I say to ask my parents this as well, the idea of um, not having enough. And always striving for more. And I was, I was, I was, I was watching a documentary on uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger um, on Netflix, and his methodology of like always wanting more, always pushing. But obviously, he was born in nineteen seventies or whatever. Where, and that mentality of just keep moving, keep moving forward is really, um, I think, powerful and very, very good. But obviously, not everyone can do that. And and I think he buried a lot of his feelings probably down. And he just kept on moving forward. But there is this sense of like always wanting more and this shiny thing and what's over there and stuff. So I think people are feeling a lot more lonely nowadays because we've so I mean, I I question this is what I question. I say to a lot of people about these words of like gaslighting and we didn't I didn't know what gaslighting was it when I was. 18. I had no idea what that was. I feel like this this word only came into like the zeitgeist in the next maybe like five, 10 years. I mean, and it was, of course, it's been used by therapists for a long time. But my question is, I wonder these things of isolation, loneliness, and gaslighting were common in the 70s and 60s, but people just wasn't talking about it, or maybe they weren't aware that they were lonely, or maybe they weren't aware of toxic behavior because it was just the norm. And now we have so much information and so much access to data, data because we're feeling more lonely, because we know so much. Maybe, question, I don't know. <laughs> is there a question in there? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Maybe because uh, my question, my th- my question is because we know so much, that's why we're so much more lonely. But I think because we didn't know as much in the 50s and 60s of all these different terms, we couldn't really isolate what we were feeling or maybe you didn't even know you were feeling them. So look, we do live in an evolving universe. And what you're pointing to is that our own development is happening very quickly right now. From an, you know, from evolutionary theory, um, development is inspired by communication. So if you think about how quickly communication is accessible to us, we might complain about you know, social media and stuff, but, but the internet and social media has made the sharing of ideas right, right there for, you know, the moment we have an idea, we can share it. And it's the sharing of ideas that begins to inspire evolution. So we are changing rapidly and, and really radically. If, and, and you see it when you look at the movies, you know, I would lo- I always love those old movies, like, uh, you know, the, the farce movies and stuff with, with, uh, Carol Lombard and all those guys back in the 40s and the 30s and 40s. But you see how one 
one-dimensional everybody was. It's just like, you know, oh, Martha, I love you. We will marry me. Oh, yes, John, I'll marry you. And then they just ride off into the sunset. Like, there's not a lot of complexity there. Mm-hmm. But most of us have a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. A lot of complexity. We're figuring things out. I mean, if you, and and look, a lot of us are, you know, we're upset with our parents because they made mistakes when they were raising us. They didn't have the resources that we have now. They didn't know what they were feeling. They didn't have like feeling charts that go on the wall when you were growing up. You know, <laughs> nobody was like learning how, nobody was going to parenting classes. You know, we have this idea that things are kind of getting worse, but in a lot of ways, they're getting much better. Uh-huh. You know, getting more conscious. This is what it is to, to grow in consciousness. So it's almost like we're, you know, we're, we're awake enough and aware enough to know how miserable we are. So I don't know that our parents really necessarily had lab- all the labels that we have now. Mm. Right? And speaking of unconscious, this is a great segue into your book, Conscious Uncoupling, The Five Steps to Living Happily Even After. So I've read the book. I think it's absolutely marvelous. I want to know how you came about writing this book. Well, first of all, let me just say a few things. I'm going to get to how I wrote it. But um, first of all, conscious uncoupling kind of popped into the lexicon when Gwyneth Paltrow used that, my term, Mm -hmm. to announce her divorce from Chris Martin. And it, it kind of popped into mainstream culture. And then Gwyneth and Chris modeled what it looks like when people do this very kind of souped up amicable breakup. So I think there's a, a misunderstanding of conscious uncoupling a little bit in the lexicon that people think it's only for people who are going to probably do this well, and it's for couples. I wrote the book for anyone who's really had their heart broken and who's processing like all the residue of unresolved resentments, all the obsessive thinking, all the you know desire for revenge or retaliation or obsessive cyber cyber stalking like how do you actually get your uh, emotion your big emotions under control so that you're you're showing up as your best self with self-respect and dignity and you know and 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 really in a way that's kind of aligned with your spiritual ethics and uh, not 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 acting out from that negative place, it can create so much toxicity and baggage for us for years to come and really mess up our kids. So, you know, the conscious part of conscious uncoupling, which also addresses our tendency to go really unconscious when our feel when we get broken up with, you know, mm. when somebody leaves us or then betray us or they lied to us. And how easy it is to just drop into that primitive place in spite of all of our spiritual ideals, instead of all of our self-image of being a really super nice person. Um, you know, it's easy to behave badly. Mm. You know, it's easy to do things that are kind of, you know, selfish and just thinking of yourself and go from that soulmate to soul hate at that moment. And talk me through the five steps, just so we're aware of the five steps and then we can then I can dig deeper into it. Okay. Well, so, so first of all, I I did create it because I went through it Uh and my first book is calling in the one Uh that book is a 49 day journey on how to manifest the love of your life and how to actually like, if you have patterns, like I had patterns with unavailable people, um, 
I was always like involved in some drama, trauma, some triangulation. There was a wife, there was a boyfriend, there was, you know, there was just always somebody kind of off in the wings waiting. The person I was with was an alcoholic or they were a workaholic. I mean, I even worked on Skid Row in, in LA for a while because I was an art therapist with homeless parolees. So these were guys who were on their way out of long-term prison sentences. They they were unemployed. They were living in a shelter and they had a major thing for me. I mean, it was just insane how many of those guys would like jump through hoops to try and get my attention, but no available person would ever come into my house. So, you know, it's fine for a while because it's fun for a little bit, but tick, 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 the years are going by. I really wanted a family. So, so anyway, I, I manifest this miracle when I got really intentional I claimed for myself an unreasonable, unprecedented future. I'm going to be engaged by my 42nd birthday. I had no prospects for a husband. Had been trying to make that happen. But the big shift I made was instead of just continually analyzing my past and why I was the way that I was, I, I just took a stand for a future of being happy in love of being healthy, of being chosen by the one that I would choose. And I started to just really transform my life to become that version of myself that would actually be available to have that happen. That's where my focus was. So it wasn't on running out to get a husband. It was on becoming who I would need to be in order for that to happen and then go well when it did. So that initiated a lot of magic that became the calling in the one process that then went out, became like a, a big, you know, bestseller. A big deal. Yeah. A big deal. And thousands of people were coming to me. And then, and I, I had this wonderful husband, we got pregnant easily. So like every, all my dreams are coming true. And then a decade in, we got divorced. So, you know, I joke now, I say, wow, I had a really big PR problem on my hands at that, in that moment, you know, but it was pretty devastating and confusing. And, um, and so, you know, here I am a teacher of love and my husband, I affectionately call him now, my, my husband, he was a Buddhist and we both believed in love and we both believed in the way of peace and stuff. And we meditated and we did our spiritual work. So we wanted to do it really differently because I was raised in a really, you know, you know, one of those, one of those homes where nobody knew about inner growth, right? So when my parents got divorced, all hell broke loose and it was a war zone. I mean, the truth is my parents have been divorced now. I'm 65. My parents have been divorced now for 63 years. And last month I was in New York. They both live in New York. They're about a mile away or, or, or an hour away from each other. We actually, the three of us had lunch together for the first time since I was two years old. No way. <laughs> yes. Why? Why is that? Because my mother hated him for years. And it's really only because I wrote Conscious Uncoupling and she read it that she's like, okay, I'm going to try and let this go now. <laughs> so I grew up in that. Mark, my husband, grew up in a in a home where his, his uh, mother, this was back in the 50s, right? His mother came out as a lesbian and that meant she had to leave her baby with her husband. Like back mm. in the 50s, there were you came out as gay and your life was small. 
She gave up her husband. She gave up her home. She gave up her baby. He didn't see his mother again, really, I think, until he was an adult, too. So we knew that this could go badly from personal experience. So we just decided that we were going to align and make sure our daughter had a really happy childhood and that we were going to do this well. So that's how conscious uncoupling was created, was really out of the necessity of wanting to do something differently that we had never really seen modeled before. And we created this. I mean, I created the five steps after we did it to go back and say, okay, what did I have to do? What did we have to do in order for this to go well? And the first three steps, they're all internal because there's so much that's going on inside of us when we break up. So yeah, the, so the first step I is you want to share any of your experience, but with breakups, but yeah, well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, so the, so the first, the first, I get, if people haven't read the book, so the first step is find emotional freedom. Second step is reclaim your power and your life. And the third step is break the pattern, heal your heart. And I know the third one quite well, break your pattern and heal your heart because the pa- the reason why you don't move on is because you're it's still in the pattern of checking someone's Instagram or checking that they're seeing your story or I when when you lose hope of that person contacting you or the person who you think is thinking of you, that's when you can then heal your heart and move on. And that's what I got better at over the years is learning to break that pattern because that's when you can move on. Um, and I, but I was terrible at it when I was in my, uh, I only started dating when I was 25. Um, before that, I was just seeing people, but I, I probably started, yeah, get into relationships when I was 25. But I, the, the, the third one, I felt quite difficult because you they become your center your focus and you're like oh what are they doing and all that sort of stuff and so you have to just learn how to break that and go from the place of it's cool they don't you don't need to know what they're doing don't think about hope that they're going to text you or whatever i know it's very difficult but you have to just push that away and as soon as you can do that that's when your heart heals one of the things that helps us to do that is to take your focus off the other person. And look, we're all hardwired for fairness. And usually at the end of a relationship, you can point to a lot of things that the other person did that was wrong, was bad, was hurtful, was selfish. And so there's a blaming energy towards the other person. And it has nowhere to go because they're not there. They're not apologizing. They're not taking responsibility. And you're kind of left with the residue of it or the fallout from it, even if that fallout is just that your own broken heart, which is no small matter. So, so I like to say, even if it's 97%, the other person's fault, you really want to look at your 3% because what helps us to not shy away from love in the future, in the aftermath of a broken heart is when you can see your 3% in a way that really is like, oh, I'm going to do that differently next time. So for example, um, minimizing red flags is one. Or giving my power away to always need the approval and permission from the other person is another. Or getting super defensive 
when somebody tries to bring something up that they want to talk to me about that's making them unhappy or not having the courage to say no in order to take care of yourself so that you're self-abandoning in the relationship. So we're really looking at the, the ways of relating that we've been inside of that kind of set us up for that. I mean, one of the patterns that I had, Jamie, and this actually isn't about my husband. He was a, he was calling in the one was about breaking the pattern and, and, and somehow finding a way to, to do it differently. But I'd had enough heartbreak before I even met Mark to know that, you know, one of the things that was happening for me is that I had all these narcissistic people come in to my life. I was very captivated by the charisma and by, you know, how interesting people who are kind of just in that swirl of self-obsession. And I, I think I the part that I really loved was the overconfidence because I didn't have much confidence myself. So I'd get very captivated by someone who had like was overly confident and could do anything they wanted. And I, I just thought that was wonderful. So of course, it, you know, but once you're in there, you start becoming kind of a shell of a person because you become what's called narcissistic supply. You know, it's really all about the other person. You have to give your full attention to them. They're always right. If something goes wrong, it's always your fault. Like it's really gets toxic quickly. So that was one of my patterns. And in a pattern like that, you know, it's very tempting to say, well, you know, he he was this narcissist and he was this kind of narcissist. He was a malignant narcissist or he was a, what's this? Someone told me yesterday, there's a new term called narrative or conversational narcissist, someone who dominates the conversation. You know, so there's always like some kind of label and you can spend a lot of time there, but it doesn't change anything and it doesn't restore your ability to trust yourself moving forward. So I had to look at my tendency to source my value by giving and overgiving at that. And if somebody, if there wasn't reciprocity, I kind of just skipped over that. Mm. And, and I had to graduate from that pattern by up-leveling my own number one willingness to be, to take the risk of presencing myself. This is what I feel. This is what I need. This is how I see things and not just people please to try and source safety. And also I had to really, you know, begin to develop my own confidence in my own voice and I had to give up kind of riding the coattails of someone else's confidence. And I had to give up having my first attention on someone else and just chronically self-abandoning. So that points me to the new practices now, like how I can actually grow myself beyond that pattern. And, um, and consequently, that's what I have done. I don't have any relationships with people who are narcissistic anymore. And I can see it pretty quickly when someone has that limitation and I can appreciate them for having charisma and being fun to hang out with sometimes, but I don't invest too much in that relationship now. And that's actually what a healthier person does right from the beginning. But if you have like, you know, like most of us who have kind of <clears throat> issues from our childhood that we're still kind of processing and looking at, uh, you know, how we developed around what happened, um, we have to grow ourselves in the direction of health and well-being. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of narcissists in Los Angeles. Um, 
Well, yeah, so, I developed all these theories when I was in LA. Yeah, it's a diamond dozen. So going into step four and step five, tell me the approach after that. So you've done your, you've, you well, hopefully you've broken the pattern. You've began to heal your heart. Talk us through the step four and step five of someone who's going yep. through this process. Step four. Now, now you're solid enough in yourself once you've done the first three steps. And you know that this experience is an opportunity to graduate from who you've known yourself to be in the past and to start to show up differently moving forward. So you feel more in your own power at this point. And this is ideally where then you go into relationship with uh, someone and you can uh, so, so step four is becoming a love alchemist. So you can begin to shift the energy that's between your partner and you. Now, this is really helpful if you have kids or if you're, you're both members of the same community and you got to work together or you got to see each other, you know, where you have a shared universe that's going to keep you t- together in some way. You don't want to be resentful of that person. You don't want to be freaking out the moment they get a new person in their life. And then you're kind of, you know, pining away as they're, you know, going away with their new sweetheart for the weekend. And you happen to know about it because you share three kids. So you have to learn how to shift into um, a, a, a relationship where you have like a, what I call a clear field between you. You, you disappear the resentments. I'll, I'll give you one tip about that. So one of the things that most of us do at the end of a relationship when we're if we're if we're trying to clear things with the other person or even right before the relationship ends we're still trying to save the relationship if somebody tells us they're hurt that they're feel that they, that that we've hurt their feelings one of the things that we'll do is we'll we'll try and explain why we did what we did we want them to understand the history of it well i only did that because that's what my father used to do to me and i didn't you know, obviously I didn't mean to hurt you that way, but, you know, my brother used to do that, or I've only seen that done, or, well, you know how I am, and I don't really like to, you know, stand up and uh, tell you what I really feel, or whatever it is, we explain our psychology to that person, but it doesn't actually complete anything for the other person, it just exacerbates them, because all we're doing is telling them, well, you can count on me doing this forever to you because I'm not really in command of myself here. So what actually clears the air between ourselves and another person is um, is being able to to tell to listen and then put aside all the reasons why we did what we did or even if they misunderstood our motives and to to, to discipline ourselves to just get related to that person's experience. Like, wow, that must, I can really get that that hurt your heart. No Stepping into their shoes. Just, just be present with it. Mm. Thank, thank you for telling me that how much that hurt you. Mm. And um, I can see that that really, that really messed you up. Like you get related to the impact of it. And then you have to make an amends. 
and you say, I'm going to, I'm going to go and talk about this to my therapist or my coach. I'm going to try and clear some of this because I can get that that's kind of unconscious. And I didn't, I, I certainly wouldn't want to hurt you in the future. Yeah. And Cause then- I, I've, I've done that a couple of times that I've done unconscious things that the intention, the, un- the, the unintention has caused something. And I have no aware that that actually even happened. Right. And yeah. And I, but I'm really, I, I take ownership. I'm really, if I'm in the wrong I, and I just hurt someone, I'll be like, hands up. I did not notice. I'm so sorry. It's not meant to come out this way. I'm going to like mull on this and I'm going to reflect this and I'm going to become better. And I learn quite quickly. I'm very quick at learning and I love learning and I like to become better every single day. So when someone tells me that they've done, I've done something unintentionally wrong for them that has caused harm, I'm like, okay, how do I fix this? Tell me what I've done. Okay, cool. Okay, I'll remember. Okay, I bench that for next time. Okay, let's let's move on. Um, I love that you do that. It took me a long time to learn how to do that. That's amazing. I'm so. It's well, it's it's a skill that I possess because I I constantly want to evolve and keep learning and be the best but I what what happens is I I, I'm very very good at unconsciously doing things so I have to keep (laughs) keep learning keep learning because I just because I'm so in my own mind about what I'm doing that I don't even think about these things you know like some some people are really really thoughtful like I am thought I'm very I'm very thoughtful but uh, you know that some people like I really thought they literally think about everyone else before themselves. And, and that, so they'll be like, I don't know, they'll, I don't know, they'll, they'll, you'll, you'll go to the market and they'll make sure they get two bananas for you before they even got their thing. And sometimes I've just, I'm a mission. I've got, okay, I've got to get soup and I've got to get soup. And I don't even think about the two bananas. And sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, but some people are really, really good at it, and I yeah, have to. So you I have study to study those people. Yeah, and, and I have to study. actively think about it. I yeah. it doesn't it doesn't come easily to me, so I have um, to think about these things. Um, but I know what my flaws are, and I have so I have to actively think. Yeah. Um, oh, that's so but, sweet, though, Jamie, that you do that. That you care so much about, about learning, being- about being better. I I care so much about being better as a person, um, yeah. and uh, I th- I think it probably came down because I was. When I was younger, I was really, really self-obsessive. Like when I was like 16, 17, like really cocky. And I think a lot of people are around that age. And I didn't like the way I was. And I had to like knock myself down like loads of different walls and stuff and then rebuild myself up. And then I think what obviously what inspired um, this, the the podcast was was my breakdown when I was 21, 22, and that was just primarily of overworking. I worked too much and I was the idea of like just becoming better and stuff. And I think, and that's what brought me onto the self-awareness and self-development journey when I was 22 is constantly reading books and understanding why things happen and why someone does that. Or, oh, this, a toxic person would say this in this moment, but I'm not toxic, but I know what this, that, that thing of like, when you know so much, it becomes quite funny because you know what someone would say in a toxic thing, but the healthy thing to say is this. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's one. It's hysterical. You're like a modern day Woody Allen. I mean, kind I don't, of. 
mean, he I got us all in trouble with his, you know, weird sexual stuff. So maybe this maybe not the same thing. No, but I, but I he's like really funny. I I I like I like to understand why things are and why things be and consciousness and unconsciousness and social consciousness. That's what I'm fascinated about. Like yeah. I said to my friend the other day about business. We we're talking about business, and I was like, "Cause like, I'm I'm not any good." And I was like, "Of course you are. You're amazing." Da 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 da. da. And I said, um, Oatly, the brand, which is, I always reference them. Oatly's been around since 1990, right? They've been selling oat milk since 1990. I don't even know, I don't know anyone that has been talking about oat milk probably since 2015, 2017. That's kind of when I sort of know about it. So since 1990, they've been around. They probably only made money probably since like, I don't know, 2010 maybe maybe they probably got into profit then 20 years later maybe they had a really strong fan before that but they had a foresight they knew that milk was bad and oat was oat milk was really really great and there and what i'm fascinated about is where did this social marketing and social consciousness shift that now we have oat milk now we don't have milk like that's what I love to see. I like to see like social consciousness shift that yeah. if we had Squid, Squid Games, the TV show, 15 years earlier, why would it not have done so well? Why is it doing so? Why did it do well when it was then? Why yeah. did why is now these pride campaigns and gender identification and queerness all coming out and it's really been celebrated and it's really become amazing. Why was that not celebrated 10 years ago? Like why, how did, how did society shift? Like that's why I asked what I'm fascinated about, but the, the unconscious of social society. Yeah. Yeah. How interesting. Mm. Well, I've always been a bit of a, a social anthropologist on the sidelines as well. And, and I, and I tend to look at it through the lens of relationship. Mm. I'm not sure what the laws are in the UK. I know conscious uncoupling is a bit, pretty big thing in the UK also, in addition to the United States. But in the United States, you know, no-fault divorce didn't happen until the late 70s. I think it was the late 70s. I'm going to have to look up that fact again. Maybe it was the late 60s. But anyway, it was started in California. Maybe it was the late 60s when Ronald Reagan was governor of California. And and he, and he created no-fault divorce, which he ended up regretting later on. He did it because his former wife was accusing him of being a bad person. So he created no-fault divorce so she would stop. But he kind of unleashed this, you know, unconscious divorce, uh, you know, festival throughout the United States. I mean, divorce just shot up as soon as no-fault no was, was uh, put into being. So, I mean... So you think about how common it is right now, and mm. it's not such a social stigma. It was a big social stigma back then. You were really mm. ashamed. In some ways, people were kind of, I got pushback when I put conscious uncoupling out because people were afraid that I was taking the shame out of divorce. And if you take the shame out of divorce, you know, then, then you know, all hell could break loose. But the reason that, I, and I always like to tell people I'm pro-marriage, I'm not you know, advocating for divorce, but if there comes a time, you, you want to learn how to do this well and in a way that's not toxic and destructive. And most of us are pretty familiar with antagonistic breakups, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we were aspiring to be decent and bring the best of ourselves to the table when mm. we're 
having to break up. So just to go back to number four, step four, becoming a love alchemist, because it kind of segues in, is that Mm -hmm. one of the things that I uh, talk about in step four is the the power of generosity to to really kind of de-escalate anger and tensions and the tendency to go to war and to put you on new footing. And normally, if you're in a breakup, the person who is the most angry and the most prone to acting out negatively is almost in charge of the breakup because the person who would want to do this well is now at the effect of that, all that projection, all of that, you know, maybe they're telling your friends different things and, you know, creating heartache and trouble for you. So they're behaving really badly. And normally even the nicest of us start to get sucked into kind of a reactive place and start to uh, try and defend ourselves or fight back or, you know, bad mouth back or whatever we do. So, so what step four does is it puts the more conscious person who's actually reading the book and doing the program in the driver's seat of how this is going. And that generally happens because you do acts of generosity. And when you do an act of generosity, it it tends to de-escalate the other person. It throws them off. And, and then they get calmer because you're calmer. So an example of that is this one woman who came to me. She had a four-year-old son and her former husband was living with his girlfriend at the time and really bad mouthing her and just just speaking even disrespectfully in front of their kid and all sorts of nasty stuff. So he was going to take her back to court. And of course, she was obviously freaking out and, and afraid of losing custody of her son because he had a ton of money. But what she did is when uh, her, their little boy came home and said, daddy is sick, she had this wonderful moment of inspiration and she called up the girlfriend and she said let me just I hear that so-and-so is sick and let me give you the recipe for the soup that he loves when he's sick Uh and she just told her how to make this soup and of course the girlfriend made it and brought it to him and he was like how did you know to do this and she said well your former wife your ex-wife called me and told me and it just softened him and he didn't well, end up to I don't understand why you just don't leave with kindness all the time. Right? I don't know. I don't know. I, I my in my last two relationships, they we've always acted in kindness. Always. Oh. But maybe but maybe um maybe it's uh the people that you choose. I don't know. I've got better at choosing people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We yeah, exactly. I've got better at choosing people because I can yes. I, I can sort you can sort of weed out. Those people, I like you sort of you talking about narcissists. You can sort of weed out people who are, uh, who is. I mean, I like people who are super super kind, like yeah. really really nice people. I like people like that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Mm. And and then what, uh, step. Five. I was I was going to ask you though. Quick question: yeah. Have you ever seen okay. Have you ever seen or heard people who go through the steps right? Who then separate, had space, and then reunite after they've sort of done their work and then gone, you know what, this is, this is, this is so stupid. Well, actually, some, yeah, some of my coaches re-specialize in that. We call it conscious recoupling. Mm. Because what happens by the, the, the five steps of conscious uncoupling really elevate your, your 
elevates your own awareness of of healthy relational skills. It teaches you how to be healthy. That if you had known how to do those things when you were in the relationship, you might not have broken up. Mm. So like the first step, find emotional freedom. You're learning how to be less reactive in your communication because you're learning how to you know, identify what you're feeling and be able to hold and contain your own inner experience in a way that kind of can help you to calm down and be more in your adult rational mind as opposed to your triggered self when you're engaging or step two which is all about that three percent taking personal responsibility or step three where you're noticing what you made it mean what you make it mean and you're kind of going back into what i call that source fracture wound the original hurt in your heart maybe your father left and you thought everybody would leave you so you project that and how you bring that the moment you get scared or you feel threatened in the relationship, you kind of start showing up in a way that covertly generates that in the present. Uh So you start to get conscious of yourself and and your own default beliefs and where you then source relationship from and you help to wake yourself up out of it. So you're learning all these relational skills. And then week four or step four, I'm teaching you about how to clear the air and how to align the relationship with an intention. And then step five, you're learning how to be very conscious of the agreements that you have with another person. That's part of step five. So you're learning all these relational skills that the moment you apply it to any new relationship, your relationships are just better. So sometimes people are able to go back because they did conscious uncoupling. They didn't do damage to each other when they were breaking up. Mm Sometimes we do irreparable damage to each other. And as hard as you want to try and fix it or wish you could fix it, it's it's kind of unfixable. So there's a there's a uh there was a Facebook post once that I thought was so brilliant. I'll try and, you know, create the illusion for it, but it was basically um someone was standing there and they said, uh, you know, there's a broken plate. They they crash a plate and the plate breaks. And they say to the person, uh, the other person, say you're sorry to the plate. And the person says, I'm sorry. And did it fix the plate? Well, no, the plate is still broken. So it's nice to get an apology, but it doesn't mean you can fix everything. So sometimes you have to pay it forward, how you're going to show up differently in the future, how you're going to really implement that lesson and be a better person You can acknowledge it to the person you hurt and you can sometimes even let them know, I'll never do that again to another person because I could see what I did to you and I can't ever really take that back, but I promise you I won't ever hurt someone like that again. I got it. You know, and even that begins to heal that Mm. person, right? So, so the, the, the fifth step then of, of conscious uncoupling is it takes into account that relationships often belong to the community in some way. They're not just about the two people in the relationship. Like maybe your parents came to love that person or maybe, you know, you two were kind of an an example for others. You know, there's other people. People invest in our relationships. That's why we invite people to our weddings is people are standing for that relationship. So how do you not divide the community then? You know, it's, Mm. it's understandable if you were hurt and somebody did something that was unfair, you want to start to bad mouth them. 
and turn the community against them. But it ends up harming everybody. So it's, you know, it's about taking the high road everywhere and kind of leaving it up to the universe. One of my favorite prayers, Jamie, is let everyone get what they deserve. Mm. Right? Because then I'm not responsible for someone else's karma. Mm -hmm. I don't think people get away with things, really, in the long run. Looks like they do on the surface, which drives us all crazy. But, you know, eventually things catch up with us. And, um, and, and if you want to access the magic of life, try keeping your word, try being a person of integrity, uh, try, you know, making amends and cleaning up your messes, because it creates a lot of clarity in your field. This now I'm talking about quantum physics, right? So you have a lot of, and then you can start to speak the future into existence. You know, mm. and then it goes right into calling in the one here. I will have a healthy, happy relationship that roots down for a lifetime. And I'm going to have that that person in my life by the end of this year. And before running out to try and find that person, you're going to say, okay, what do I need to give up? What do I need to start to cultivate? How will I grow myself to prepare myself for that relationship? And what is my next step? So I'm not just praying for it to happen or hoping or wishing of actively co-creating and I'm holding myself accountable to being the person I would need to be in order for that to happen. Mm. And as we come close to our episode, I, what I love asking my guests is a give back. What would you give back to your younger self or someone listening? That might be a quote. It might be an inspiration of someone. It might be a book, even your book. Um, yeah. What would you give back? Oh, gosh, so much, truthfully. But the first thing that came to my mind, just popped into my mind when you said it, um, is something that I that came through me when I was writing. How about that? Because, you know, if you if you ever read Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, have you read? Mm, book? I've read that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful, that book. And she really nails it. She describes how when you give yourself over to the creative energies of life, it, it starts speaking through you. So I wanted to read... Uh, just something that moved through me that's become kind of a motto for me. And, and I'd love to pass it on to readers, which is um, from the Conscious Uncoupling book. It's page 58 in the book. And it's part of a, a, a chapter that says Introducing Conscious Uncoupling. And it says, with all of the darkness you may be walking through right now, it's good to remember that where there is no light, you have the choice to become it. Can you read that again? Just read that quote again. With all of the darkness you may be walking through right now, it's good to remember that where there is no light, you have the choice to become it. Interesting. I have, so everyone knows in the show that I have a, 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 a tattoo on my hand and it basically means be the light in the room. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my god like, like the sunrise oh, i'm looking at it right now everyone. <laughs> yeah uh, it just it's like because i'm very dyslexic so i have like i have another tattoo basically means go with the flow like two waves um <laughs> joke my dad thinks it's the ss um because he was he always makes a joke about it but it's not it's it's the two waves um but i have them on both my hands as as guidance and references whenever i'm getting too much in my head or i'm not feeling my complete self i look at that as a reference and then go okay 
be the light in the room. Okay, go with the flow. Okay, cool. Um, so it's interesting that you say that uh, as a quote because yeah, it's written on my hand. Beautiful. Be the light. Always be the light. And I and we're always attracted to people who are the light in the room. Always. And you can spot them for a mile off. A mile off. It's like a moth to the flame. Um, well, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. I've learned a lot. And it's been really great to tap into your mind um, and discover a bit more about the book and also the origins of it as well. So thank you so much for coming on 360. You have been 360'd. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to our awesome guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our astonishing episodes released every Sunday, 12 p.m. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram for more discussions, education, and inspiration at 360 underscore yourself. The host, that's me, Jamie Neal, on Instagram at JamieNealJN. And once again, thank you for listening, and remember to... 360 yourself.